Welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast bringing biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and I'm so glad you've joined me today. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a weekly blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, up to this point in our series on the life of Joseph, it's felt like the story has been nothing but bad news for our hero, one painful experience after another. But in today's episode, God is about to reveal his plan. All the events of Joseph's life have been leading up to this moment. Here's Pastor Dave with this powerful message of hope. Let's open our Bible, shall we? To the book of Genesis and chapter 41. While many of us know the name Martin Luther and would consider this great reformer as one of the true giants of the faith, you may not know that he frequently struggled with doubt and depression. Luther had so many struggles with this and on one occasion was so despondent that his friends feared for his health. They feared that he might actually even give up on the whole Reformation movement or do something worse. They urged him to take a time of sabbatical, a chance to get away and find some renewal. And he did, in fact, get away, but he came back more depressed, more morose than ever. Who knows where Martin Luther would have ended up had it not been for his wife, Catherine. One day he came home to find her all dressed in black and weeping. Next to her was a black shawl like uh, women would wear in the streets when there had been a terrible tragedy. Her husband, quickly assuming the worst, went over to her and said, What's happened is one of the children died. And Catherine replied, Oh no, the family is fine. Something far worse has occurred. Luther, according to as the story goes, said, Then what has befallen us? Tell me quick. I'm sad enough as it is. Good man, she replied, have you not heard? Could it be that the terrible news has not reached you? Martin Luther slowly shook his head and pressed for an explanation. She said, have you not been told that our heavenly father is dead and that his cause in the world is therefore overturned? Luther looked at her for a long moment, a smile creased his face, and he began to chuckle. He took his wife in his arms and he said, Kate, I read your riddle. What a fool I have been. God is not dead. He ever lives, but I have acted as if he was dead. Martin Luther is neither the first nor the last person to have circumstances so difficult that he's prepared to write God's obituary. Many of us knows what it's like to go through those dark times and to wonder if we'll ever see the light of day again. Perhaps that's why the story of Joseph is so attractive to us. I don't know of anybody else who faced so much mistreatment and disappointment for over a decade and yet came through it shining. He's the poster child of what God can do in reweaving circumstances 
taking the worst of situations and making something so beautiful, both for his glory and our good, out of it. And we struggle with this idea. So how Joseph do it? How did he do it? And the reason why we want to know is because we want to do it too, don't we? We want to come through those circumstances as Joseph did. Now, as you research this text, chapter 41, Joseph is 30 years old. How many of you in here are 29, 30, 31? How many of you are around 30 years old? Joseph is your age. Some of you just raise your hand. You're 60. I know. <laughs> jo- <laughs> Joseph is some of your ages, all right? For 13 years, he has gone from pit to prison. He was shanghaied when he was 17 years old, sold into slavery by his brothers. At 27, he was unjustly accused of assault, of rape, and was put into prison. For two years, he was there. So now he's 30 years old, and now we begin to see a breakthrough. We began studying chapter 41 last week, and we learned that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world, had a series of dreams Pharaoh's power is something that most of us cannot begin to fathom. He had no Congress. He convened no Supreme Court. Pharaoh's word was law. When he spoke, it was done. When he entered a room, he was worshipped. But on this particular night, this powerful potentate did not sense much power at all. He'd been awake most of the night because of a couple of really strange dreams. And we read about those dreams in some detail last week, but by way of quick review, in the first dream, there were seven healthy cows, fine candidates for a Chick-fil-A commercial. <laughs> but while these beautiful bovines weren't looking, seven emaciated anorexic cows ate them up. Pharaoh woke up, the text says, very troubled by this. He went back to sleep and had a second dream. In the second dream, there was a stalk of grain with seven healthy heads on it, and it was um, eaten up by another stalk of grain with seven withered heads on it. And again, he woke up. Now, for the Egyptians of that day, dreams were highly significant, which is why we read what we do in verse 8. Take a look. In the morning, his mind was troubled, So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Now in this group, there would have been not only the magicians, the wise men, his sages and seers, but also his cupbearer or the butler, the very same man who had been with Joseph in the prison two years earlier and who'd forgotten Joseph. But now he remembers him and he says, in fact, I met this guy in prison. And we had some dreams, and he interpreted them with total accuracy. Down to verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he'd shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love how it's read in verse 16. I can't do it, Joseph replied, but God can God will give you the answer that you're looking for. An amazing thing. So Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams, and Joseph gives him an answer right away. No consultation, no time to consider it, beginning in verse 25. Follow along. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. 
The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. In other words, the reason why you had two dreams is God is saying, I'm telling you once, I'm telling you again, is to doubly reassure him this is what's going to happen. Then Joseph does something that's quite remarkable. He offers unsolicited advice to this ruler. You didn't do that in that day. You didn't offer advice. But Joseph, I think with the same confidence that the Spirit of God had given him to interpret the dream, now makes an offer, beginning in verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Watch what happens and be amazed. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, and there is no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. He's saying this to an ex-con. This guy has just been in prison. He's saying, you're now second in command over all Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 41, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph a name that I can't pronounce, and he also gave him Azanath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old. Amazing. What a reversal of fortune. Think of it. The night before, Joseph is sleeping on the floor of a dungeon. The next night, he's in the palace in a perfumed bed. An amazing transformation. Who had seen this coming? Pharaoh hadn't. Joseph hadn't. The people of Egypt hadn't, but God had. God had. And now, Joseph can look back at his life, and it's as if all the links in the chain of God's sovereignty all begin to make sense. None of which would have made sense in isolation, but now they begin to make sense. Think about it. 
Joseph met Pharaoh only because Joseph knew the butler. Joseph knew the butler only because Joseph had been in prison. Joseph was in prison only because Potiphar got angry. Potiphar got angry only because his wife was a seductress. Joseph met the seductress only because the Midianite traders had brought him to Egypt. The Midianites were only able to do that because Joseph's brother had sold him to them. And Joseph's brothers had arrived at that point because Joseph's father had made Joseph his favorite. And when I add all this up, I count one broken promise, at least two betrayals, several outbursts of hatred, two abductions, one seduction, ten jealous brothers, and at least one case of poor parenting. (laughs) You put all that together, mix well, give it 13 years, and what do you get? The greatest single promotion in all the Bible. Amazing. It wasn't quick. It wasn't painless. But in the end, God took that mess and made it into something beyond Joseph's wildest dreams. And so here's my question for you. If God can do that for Joseph, can he do that for you? Did Joseph somehow corner the market on God's sovereignty? Was Joseph somehow unique to God's blessing? Or does he stand before us as an example of what God can do in any person's life who knows and loves the Lord? So as you look back over your life, what are some of the links in your chain? Have some betrayals in your past? Somebody who sold you out? Someone who made a promise to you and didn't keep it? Have you ever been falsely accused? Unjustly criticized? Inappropriately touched? Improperly parented? Could it be that God is going to link all of this together to make you into a person you never could have been otherwise and to bring you to a point where you're prepared for a position that you've never dreamed of yet? Could God be that big? Could God be that alive? Dare we dream it? Thank you for listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will be back in just a moment. But if you're enjoying this podcast, I invite you to subscribe and leave us a review. Then share this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedesellministries.org and click on the donate button. In addition to this podcast, Dave Desell Ministries offers other resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as devotionals for everyday disciples. Each week, Dave delivers a new devotional filled with inspiration from God's Word that will encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus every day. Go to davedesellministries.org and you can browse through the over 100 devotionals found there. You can also subscribe and we'll send each new devotional directly to your email inbox. Now, let's return to Dave and the conclusion of his message. Here's the problem. When you're in the pit, it's tough to picture the palace, isn't it? When you're in prison, it's tough to ponder a promotion. It's so easy to focus only on what isn't instead of what is. The problems that are instead of the problem solver who's alive. Our heads are all too often down. And after a while, we believe like Martin Luther did. 
that God's grave has been dug and his tombstone has been ordered. We come across a story like this and we realize that that's why this is in the Bible for strugglers like us. The text says that Pharaoh was troubled by these dreams. The royal court was, of course, troubled because Pharaoh was troubled. But Joseph took all of this in stride. He stood in front of the most powerful man in the world. And he not only interpreted his dream, he gave him unsolicited advice. How could Joseph do this? Because Joseph knew something. He knew who the true king really was. And it wasn't Pharaoh. It was God Almighty. Joseph tells us this. Verse 16. I cannot do it, but God can. Verse 28. God has shown Pharaoh. Verse 32. It has been firmly decided by God. 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 Where's Joseph's focus? On God. Where's your focus? The economy, the economy, the economy. Our business, our business, our business. Lousy marriage, lousy marriage, lousy marriage. Cancer, cancer, cancer. Shattered dreams, shattered dreams, shattered dreams. Where's your focus? Friends, I'm convinced that many of us live like Christian atheists. We say we believe, but when it really comes down to how we live, we live as if God is dead because we focus on what isn't instead of what could be and the problems of the problem solver. Time and time again, the Bible tells us to lift our eyes. I love the way the Revised Standard renders Isaiah 26.3 that you see on the screen. Thou dost keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Focusing on the God above the problem instead of the problem. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote about it in Philippians 4, the message renders it this way. Summing it all up, my friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. I'm no different than you. I would love all my problems to go away. But you know what? Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. Not this side of the grave. It's not going to happen. Listen, the key is not looking to get rid of your problems. The key is lifting your eyes to the one who's above your problems. Focusing on him. Focusing on him. Joseph triumphed not because he didn't have problems, but because he trusted that God was more than enough and fully alive. He trusted in the God of Abraham, who gave a baby to a couple who was already collecting Social Security. He trusted in the God of Moses, who was able to turn the Red Sea into a red carpet. He trusted in the God of David, who was able to cut down a giant with a slingshot. He trusted in the God of Elijah, who could start a fire on a wet altar. He trusted in the God of Daniel, who could give lockjaw to a pride of lions. He trusted in the God from Galilee, who fed the multitudes, who healed the sick, who died for sin, and who rose from the dead. This is Joseph's God, and this is who he trusts. To live with that confidence is to live with what we're calling 50-20 vision. 
what it looks like nothing but evil, nothing but bad news, God can and will do for good news. You see, we're taught it's all up to you. How much money you have, the security that you know, the strength you possess, the intelligence that is yours, it's all up to you. And if you don't, it won't. And the story of Joseph says, no, it's all up to the God who's alive. And where are you putting your focus? If you prepare to close this, let me ask you a question. How do you know that today isn't the eve of your deliverance? Ever thought about that? When Joseph woke up that morning, probably with a sore back, after sleeping on the dungeon floor, it was like every other sunrise. It was like every other day. But all of these 13 years had come together for that climactic moment. And Joseph was ready to hear God's voice, to receive God's word, and to display God's glory. Could it be that some of you are on the verge of your promotion today? Could it be that some of you are on the edge of your miracle today? I want you to receive this word. A deliverance is in your future. I can say that with confidence because I know that your eternal deliverance is in your future. People say, you could die. I say, yep. (laughs) And a deliverance is in my future. But it could well be that God has an earthly deliverance in your future. I was talking with a man after the first gathering. He was on our Alabama team. He said, I tried not to go. I went with a bad attitude. He said, that week in Alabama with that team was one of the greatest weeks of my life. It's only been matched by the day I accepted Christ as my Savior. He had no idea two weeks ago what the Alabama trip would mean to him. But God had a plan for Don's life that week. And God has a plan for your life as well. He's working all things together. All things. Joseph never saw it coming. He never imagined that that would be the day of his deliverance, but it was. And until that day, he lifted his eyes to the God who's alive. The psalmist wrote these words. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from Washington. Is that what it says? My help comes from my small business. My help comes from my IRA. My help comes from my doctor's report. My help comes from my bank account. My help comes from manipulating and controlling and making things happen so I survive. Is that what it says? Read it with me. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift your eyes to the one above your problems. The psalmist knew it well. And we can know it well too. Because God is alive. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.